Hello and welcome. You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. James quickly moves to that conflict with self. That's a real major thrust of these opening three verses. And what he's saying here is the wars and the fightings, the external conflict is rising out of an internal conflict. And so he describes the conflict as really kind of a combination of three things. First, and we'll just look at this, the first thing is that it generates an internal conflict. Do we need somebody to inform us that our environment today has a lot of internal conflict? Do we need somebody that goes out and tells us, hey, look at what's happening? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Look at the explosion of mental illness all around us on the streets today. It used to be hidden away. I remember when there were institutions and mentally disturbed people or people with mental illness, there were institutions. We no longer have those institutions with the proliferation of illicit drugs that drive people out of their mind. And by the way, that's a, that's a part of Satan's scheme. That's a part of that because the word for witchcraft is pharmacia, which is the idea of by use of drugs, intoxicating drugs, you literally become out of your mind. That's what's happening in our world today. There's so many illicit drugs that are literally taking people out of their mind. I've seen so many young men in the prison that were wrapped up in drugs and they come in and they get saved and, and Christ gives them a new mind and all of a sudden they're sitting and they're clean and they can take care of themselves and a great change has happened because now they're finally beginning to get into their right mind, getting out of that old, well, we don't have to see what's right literally at our door because all of the drugs. But what about suicide, drunkenness, all the drugs, all of the tremendous internal conflict? So you have a conflict on the outside as a manifestation of really of the war that's going on in the inside. What's that war? People are battling to fulfill their desires and their lust and the ambitions because they're being held back. They're being thwarted. They can't really get it. So there's a frustration internally. So ultimately that translates into an external hostility. So now I'm going to show that I'm against people who stand in the way of getting what I want. And in their own inability to bring to pass what they want, they take that out on someone else. So the question in verse 1 is, whence wars and whence battles among you? Come they not hence? <laughs> that's King James, and, I, and that's really a good translation. Because this is the answer to the question. Come they not hence out of the lust that war in your members? And that form of a question really expects a yes answer. He's saying yes. In fact, it could be read that way. They came out of your lust that war in your members, don't they? Yes. And that's the way you could read that. Well, here all of these external conflicts come from hence, and it's tied to thence. In other words, it, it gives us that true source of external conflict. That's why I think as we look at that, it's a very interesting word, the word for conflict is it comes out of our lust. It's the Greek word hedon. 
we get our word hedonist. So you've heard of hedonism. It's simple. In our culture, it means one who lives for pleasure. And that's a hedonist. That's what they're looking at. That's exactly what the word means, is a desire for pleasure. The word here is plural. And all of the external conflict in the world rises out of people's tremendous, uncontrollable desire. That's point number one, conflict with self. It grows out of that great desire. So three things that are causing this conflict eternal, internally in people. One is really uncontrolled desire. So we're going, we're seeing how all of these lead from one to another. People are driven by their passions, their desires for pleasure. And the term, in fact, describes that the desires for worldly passions that are contrary, of course, to the will of God. And in the New Testament, it's always seen in the bad sense, this idea of this uncontrolled passion. Kittle, in his Greek study, the dictionary, he says that it's always means with evil pleasure, a desire for evil pleasure in some of those areas. So one commentator that I read talked about on this particular message that Hedon expresses the yearnings for self-love. It's perhaps really seen in 2 Timothy 3, 4, men who are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It's consumed with pleasure. The unregenerate man is a slave to his desires. That unsaved man, it, it's a frightened slavery that's, that's held them back. Passion is a cruel master. I remember hearing that years ago, and I couldn't remember, so I, I looked it up. And that was said by the playwright Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde was discovered to be a homosexual and publicly disgraced. And you know what he said? Imagine in this day and age that this was such an outrage against this man. He said, I forgot that what a man does in secret, he someday will shout from the housetop. Then he went on to say, passion is a cruel master. Well, that kind of bondage that he was in, to the point that he couldn't say no, even though he knew the potential danger. Whatever the sin, they do not control the sin, sin controls them. You see, sin has control over each one. So then try to figure out, people will try to bypass it, they'll try to get around, they'll try to work out their own, but they're under the control of sin. Whatever it might be, whatever the sin might be, they'll continue to live in their sins because they're not able to resist or to restrain one way or another because they're dominated by it. That's the principle of James chapter 1 and verse 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings death. That's the cycle. Temptation activates lust. Lust activates sin. Sin activates death. That's the way it's always going to come about. So James sounds a lot like Paul here in verse 1, as he says, where do all these battles and wars come on the outside? Where do they come from? They come from your inside. That's what he's talking about. They come from your uncontrolled desires. They come out of your lust. And notice that phrase, that war in your members. Now, he's not talking about church members now. Now he's changing. Now he's looking at the individual. He's not talking about, because he uses the word melos like the Apostle Paul does, the bodily members. 
members on the outside that came from in. And so it's not, as I said, not members of the church here, but he uses the word in the same way that Paul said, that sin in my flesh in chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, he said that there resides within me a desire to do good, but that which I would not, I do. And once he said, and once you gave your members to sin, same word, of Romans chapter 6, now yield ye your members as servants of righteousness. That's what he's talking about. That's within us. So James is talking about our humanness, our flesh. He's saying that within our humanity, there is a war in your very flesh. There is a battle. There's a war. It's a war that's tremendous. It's driving. It's uncontrolled passion and desire. And your conscience is involved here. He's not only talking about a believer, he's talking about unbelievers. Because you see, why is there so much guilt in unbelievers? Why do they go to the psychologist? Why do they want to go get drunk, go get loaded, take the drugs? Why do they even think to kill themselves? Probably the leading anxiety contributor is guilt. Unbelievers feel guilt. Guilt is to the conscience like pain is to the body. Pain says, stop! You're hurting. You're hurting your body. Guilt says, stop. You're damning your soul. They feel that. It's a war of the fallen flesh with the fallen mind. And it's the war of the fallen flesh with conscience. That's because we were made in the very image and likeness of God. There's still a knowledge of God. Romans 1 says that we are without excuse. Because there are these fleshly lusts, which Peter says war against the soul. Fleshly lusts that war against the soul. I don't think that any of us would deny that there is within mankind a residual image of God. Even in our fallen state. Every once in a while you see that coming out in our world. Some form of philanthropy. Somebody doing what's great. Somebody generating some kind of uh, beautiful art. Being artistic in that sense. That's really showing something of the image of God within them. But the fighting against those such of residual nobilities, that driving passion, that corruption, those desires for the wrong kind of pleasure that wage war, that are raging war against everything that stands in their way, everything that would stop their gratification. Passions, he says, are warring. He uses the word that pictures that an army ready to fight anyone who stops or tries to stop it. So here, the average person who's in love with the world they're driven by desire for gratification, and it wars against their better judgment and their conscience. And the war is so hot that anything that gets in their way for a gratification gets trampled. Verse 1. Let's look at verse 2. And all that hostility comes from an uncontrolled desire. He says, you lust and you have not. In other words, you want it, but you can't get it. So what do you do? What are the next two words? You kill. That's what he says, and that's how it ought to be read in the terms like this. Because of the punctuation, he says, you lust and have not, period. You kill, period. You desire to have and cannot obtain, period. You fight in war, period. Yet you have not because you ask not, period. He's given these short 
quick explanations. You kill, you fight, you war, and all the things that a man does when his gratification is held back and thwarted. You lust, epithumia, evil desire, evil connotation that's there. It emphasizes a desire that they're driven by their lust. You see it in the areas of sex, alcohol, stealing, gambling, criminal behavior, hostility, whatever it might be that they could not break the evil habits. They're thwarted, and if those things are held back and thwarted long enough, they kill, they'll do anything. And sometimes that's real murder. Sometimes it is just that killing hate. It could refer to thoughts of murder. It could refer to destructive behavior. It could refer to suicide. And you know that there are people who kill themselves because they can't get what they want. Pretty strong language here driven by an uncontrolled passion that if need be, you kill if you're held back, if you're thwarted. Then he puts it another way. He says, you desire to have, that's zello, to covet. If you covet something, the verbal form of jealousy, that's what's used here. It's used also in chapter 3, verse 14 and 16. And so he's using that idea. You're jealous. You're envious. You want what others have, and you want it so badly, so badly and you can't get it, you fight and you war. You see the conflict? Murder, hostility, conflict, anger, bitterness, all of those things, all of them. You fight, you wage war, all of the cravings for pleasure, all of the longings, the lusting for evil desire, personal gratification drives people to these hostilities. So what's he saying? The people who are in love with the world are controlled by, and as John put it, all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all that, all those things that are self-gratifying. What does he say? The lust of the eyes, I see it, I want it. The lust of the flesh, I feel it, I want it. The pride of life, self-gratification. Anything that gets in the way, you fight against those. You war against it. You battle against it. You might even kill it or him or her or them. So the conflict is a result of all of this. Personal conflict, personal anxiety, people having to get psychotherapy and all of the rest because we see it in marital conflict, family conflict, job conflict, associational conflict, national conflict. Comes all out of a friendship of the world. Friendship the world of this world creates conflict with others and conflict with self because it's constantly generating uncontrolled desire and passion. So the second thing I think we need to look at, and I just covered it, so I won't take too much time, but I want you to get a good idea that uncontrolled desire, it's not the only thing, but it's an unfulfilled desire. Did you see that kind of in our text? You want it, but you can't get it. You're frustrated, absolutely frustrated. You lust and do not have. You commit murder. That's the way the New American Standard says. And you're envious, and you can't obtain. So you fight, you quarrel. The classic illustration, there's a battle that's going on. You know what? In my Bible reading, I went through in 2 Samuel the story of Absalom. Do you remember the story of Absalom? David's son. He wanted the kingdom so badly that he was willing to kill his father or have his father killed in order to get it. But there was another story I had forgotten, and I know I had read it. It's the story of Ahithophel. Now, 
Ahithophel, and this is, was really interesting to me, something else I was reminded or I'd forgotten about after all these years. Did you know that David's sin against Bathsheba was a sin against Ahithophel? He was a counselor to King David because Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. He was the father of Eliam, who was the father of Bathsheba. And when David committed his sexual sin with Bathsheba, the granddaughter, and David then, in effect, murders his granddaughter's husband. Ahithophel is furious. You can imagine. And that's why Ahithophel, the counselor to the king, joins in the rebellion with Absalom to overthrow David. And you remember that, and you can read that, and it's in your notes. Ahithophel comes in and he tells Absalom, I have a counsel how we can kill David. And we'll get him out of this situation. We'll surround him with the troops and we'll wipe him out. And then they all said, no, we don't want that kind of counsel. And Ahithophel packed his animal. He rode back to his house. He set things in order and he strangled himself. Total frustration. Unfulfilled desire, passion and frustration go hand in hand. Passion and frustration are mutually attached. You can look back at the book of Ecclesiastes and what does Solomon say? I've seen it all. I've done it all. I've touched it all. I've smelled it all. I've felt it all. I've seen it. I've been doing everything and it's all empty. It's all vanity, he said. It's a frustrating perspective. I've been there and back. Don't take that trip, folks. That's <laughs> Ecclesiastes in the short. Well, tremendous, beautiful picture of the frustration of the, the human heart because it's when it's in friendship with the world. Thirdly, and it's not just an uncontrolled desire. It's not just unfulfilled desire, but it's an utterly selfish desire. And we're going to really get into this, Lord willing, next week. Utterly selfish, totally self-centered. He says that in verse 2. You have not because you ask not. You ask, and when you do ask, you don't receive it because you are asked for the wrong reasons, the wrong motives, so that you can consume it upon your own lust. You have not because you ask not. What were they really searching for? They're not searching for God. They're not searching to have a closer relationship with God. But let me tell you this. They are searching for the things that God gives. They want the joy. They want peace. They want happiness. They want meaning. They want value. They want hope. They want fulfillment. But they don't want God. They don't want to have to have that relationship. They want everything that God gives without being accountable to God. So they can still have their sin. That, and they think that that's available through the world and through the worldly loves. So in all of that, he's asking those questions. And that's where we're going to, Lord willing, pick up because they're looking for a desire for true joy, true satisfaction, true happiness, true hope, true meaning, true purpose. But that is available only from God if you but ask. If you but ask. And he gives those. Hasn't he said that? Well, we want to conclude and look at this. This isn't just an injunction to believers. It was also to unbelievers that they would have something very different. But I believe we can come to a place where we ask ourselves a question, where we look deep into our hearts, where we look to say, where do my affections go? What is my heart really telling me? What do I love? What is really important? Do I love God? 
You see, John tells us that if you love God, then you'll walk away from sin. When we don't love God properly, we fall into sin. We have a love problem. Do you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength? Maybe you say, no, I don't think I do. But do you want to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul? And you say, yes, and that's good. But do we love the world? We'll just close out with asking. Do we love the world a little too much that we are just not quite sure I want to give my whole self. I want to give everything. And yet that is the cause for anxiety. That's the cause in the Christian life for this internal warfare. So we ask ourselves and we look at our life, we look at our hearts. Is my heart really right with God? Am I really looking for all that God can give me, all that he wants to do and all that he wants to give? and how he wants to work through me. God answers that prayer. Have you asked? Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I'm struggling here. I'm struggling there. Help me. Only you can do it. You see, we are helpless in battling all of this flesh, but he is able. He is able in you and through you because the Holy Spirit is in you if you're his child. And he's working to give you the victory. Thanks be to God that gives us the victory, the Holy Spirit. He gives us the victory. Do you have the victorious life today? We've talked about a lot of hot terminology, violent terminology, how opposite it is of this world. Now you understand why the world's doing all that it is. But for us, we are called to be different. We are called to be greater. We are called to be out of this world. We're in the world, but people want to see something different in you, in, in each of us, that they don't quite understand, but it's the Lord working in your life and in your heart. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions of a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or can reach us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.